Seven minutes past six o'clock. It's time for Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike Balsamo, Sean McGregor here with you as well. Huge show on tap for you today. Got to see something in the NFL landscape that we don't see all that often, but it's not unprecedented. We'll, we'll comment on that. Also, one of the craziest NBA trade deadlines I have ever seen. Iris fully decked out in his NBA gear today, so I know you're ready to talk about this with his Heat uh, shirt and his Cavs hat. Also, some very special guests popping by. Mike Isolino, a former NBA player, Dallas Mavericks. He'll be on about 7.20, so stick around and an evening with John Feinstein happening Tuesday, February 20th, uh, right here in Jupiter. Ira, you know John Feinstein much better than me. Tell us a little bit about him. Um, well, certainly he wrote one of the most famous books of all time, which is Season on the Brink, about the Bobby Knights. And um, he wrote books about the uh, one of the greatest college basketball writers of all time, probably maybe the greatest. And uh, the Duke-Carolina rivalry. He's a Duke guy. So uh, it's very – but he's a great writer, uh, just loves sports, and certainly knows how to weave a tale. And I think the book he's talking about now is a fiction book that he wrote on football. But It's going to be a, an amazing, uh, amazing uh, demonstration. It's going to happen at the – Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at FAU. We'll have tickets for that right around 745. All right, let's get into it. So much to talk about, guys. Ira, first and foremost, where you been the past week? You just got in, didn't you? Well, I, I was in Los Angeles, and on um, Thursday night, or Wednesday night, it was like Thursday night, I uh, wanted to see the Duke Carolina game. And it was at five o'clock. So I went down to Staples Center, this LA Live, which is amazing, <laughs> like a million restaurants all around Staples Center. And I got positioned to watch Duke Carolina, and there was a ton of Duke fans, ton of Carolina fans. Great game. And of course, at a sports bar that has 100,000 television sets, they don't play the sound. They play REM, every, every <laughs> REM song. And the manager said, I would thought that the Southern fans would like this because REM is a Southern group. And I think oh we would God. rather prefer the sound of the game. <laughs> so, and then while I'm sitting in the bar, I experienced, I guess what people, when they go to Broadway shows, I'm going to equate this to, is that I was buying uh, Oklahoma City, LA Laker tickets, and I'm waiting on StubHub to buy the tickets. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, wait. And finally, around seven o'clock, I buy the tickets at 7.05 Westbrook announced they announced Westbrook's not playing so the tickets Perfect probably yeah, dropped by 75% <laughs> that you're not going to have Carmelo Anthony you're not going to have Russell Westbrook and now you got the D team playing so yeah it's a little bit disappointing right right and then and it was funny during the game the Lakers I mean Oklahoma City you can see how much they def- de, um, how they need Westbrook because they got totally blown out of the game mm-hmm. and that was right after the trade happened so you have the whole trade effect and everyone talking and the fans of course when Paul George comes to the line for Oklahoma City Chan we love Paul. So they were chanting, we love Paul, because of course they want George to come of to the Lakers course. next year. But that's very ironic that they were creating that. I really, you know, I, I, we had so much to talk about. NBA is coming up later, but you just made me think of something interesting. Do you think Russell Westbrook, I know MVP is for the most valuable player. Is Russell Westbrook the most indispensable to his team of anyone in the league? When you if you had seen how poorly Oklahoma <laughs> City played, and, and and Paul George played great that game, but they really just couldn't compete against a team that remember the Lakers just got rid of Jordan Clarkson, they got yeah. rid of Larry Nance, they had Isaiah wasn't there, they were playing shorthanded, they were playing with guys they brought up from their D League team, <laughs> their D League team was playing, and they still got blown out by thirty. So, it, well, that's something you know. Obviously, James Harden, amazing player. How much worse would they be without him? They're not going to obviously be one of the best teams in the league, but like you said, Oklahoma City without Russell Westbrook is just a dumpster. <laughs> it's just not good. You're listening to Iron Sports. Mike and Sean here as well. 710, True Oldies Channel. It was the talk of all of sports. Josh McDaniels, kind of a slimeball, uh-huh. agrees to a job. Well, tech, you can't agree, but I guess it's one of these handshake deals with the Indianapolis Colts. I'm sure you've heard this already. 
right after the Super Bowl, decides um, he's not going. I guess uh, old uh, Belichick and Kraft had a lot up their sleeves to keep this guy in New England. We don't know what that is, and I can't wait to find out. I don't know if we ever will. But Ira, what do you think? Josh McDaniels, what kind of person is he for backing out on this job, and what's the ramifications going to be? I think he's a smart person. (laughs) I thought the job was terrible. Yeah, People were saying that's better than the Giants' job. That's just ridiculous. Andrew Luck hasn't thrown a football in two years. Two years. He has not thrown a football. They have Jacoby Brissett. I don't care if they have cap space. They, their general manager Bowler, and there's been issues with him and, and getting along with coaches. Uh, him, he and Pagano were in a, in a fight for the last three years, and they wouldn't even talk to each other. And I just thought it was a terrible job. I think he just woke up after the Super Bowl. He's focused on the Super Bowl and said, "Is this really a job I want to take?" And the Patriots offered him more money, and he stayed. And he didn't sign any deal with them. And of course, he signed this defensive coordinator, and he came. And there were some issues with that, but I think it was a smart move. And I think it's a smart move yeah. because. In the NFL, I think you've got two chances. Look at Eric Mangini. Mm-hmm. Eric Mangini was at the Jets. It was good and then bad, and then he and got then fired. The Browns. Then he jumped the next year to the Browns. He jumped quickly, and now he hasn't been in a job. And he's 50 years old. He's young. He can't get another job. Mm-hmm. I think you only get two shots. McDaniels with at Denver for two, for two years, and uh, and then I just don't think he had a chance to come. I just think he did. He cannot make a mistake on your second job. That's a great point because he drafted Tim Tebow, yeah. and that's always going to be a blemish on his resume. And he and, fought for Tim Tebow. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Now you go to Indy, which, in my opinion, is an awful team. They don't have any skill. I mean, Andrew Luck, like you said, hasn't thrown a pass since January of 2017. Or 2017, so over a year, hasn't thrown a pass. The defense stinks. The offensive line stinks. Your owner's a moron. Who wants that job? People were saying before, you know, Colin Coward and a lot of these pundits, oh, this is the, the best job out there. No, not the best job at all. I would rather be in Arizona almost. Mm-hmm. At least you have a defense. At least they have a defense. I've got the best running back in the game possibly in David Johnson, and I get to draft a quarterback this year. Indy was just an awful job. Sean McGregor is with us. Sean, Josh McDaniels, kind of a slime, uh, slime ball. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think he's definitely wrong for backing out. Um, what this showed us is the Pat's job is his. I mean, that, that's what it is. We, we don't know that for a fact, but there's no way he's leaving. Uh, I look at it like what, what happened with Jason Garrett um, when he was under Wade Phillips. The Ravens essentially you know, had structured a deal for him to come be the Ravens coach before Harbaugh was there. And um, the Cowboys said, hey, no, this is your job in waiting. We're going to give you more money. We'll make you the highest paid offensive coordinator in the league. And guess what? Years later, he's got the job and you know a lot of pull there. Um, where I really disagree with the move is the fact that, yes, he told them, I'm coming, and he hired two to three assistants that one being a Cowboys coach. They signed contracts. Yeah, yeah the, the <laughs> linebackers coach from us, and they're there now. So they're under a head coach that, one, they're not familiar with. Two, now the head coach is like, I can't even hire three assistants because, you know, Josh McDaniels has already done that. Um, and Ira brings up a good point because you look at a lot of coaches. You get two chances. And and he if he failed with the Colts, which I think is inevitable, um, <laughs> He doesn't get a second chance. You look at Eric Mangini, Ken Wisenhunt, uh, Chargers coach, went to the Titans. Don't hear from him again. Uh, you have a lot of guys that have been there, had two head coaches up. Rex Ryan uh, with the Jets and the Bills. Rex Ryan will never get another head coaching job in this league. So Thank God. Um, great choice by not to go, <laughs> but the way that he handled it, what he did leading up to it, leading them on, taking the job, hiring assistant coaches. You know, it, It'll be hard to trust him to go anywhere else. That's why it's the Pats or bust for Josh McDaniels moving forward. 714, this is Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. We want to hear from you. 877-960-9960 is the number to chime in. Ira, like this, it, it, when you think of 
dirty, underhanded franchises that will do whatever it takes to win. <laughs> I think we all know the Patriots are at the top of that list. Do you think there was anything here where it was really Kraft and Belichick putting him up to screw the Colts? They don't like the Colts from Deflategate. Nobody knows what happened behind those closed doors to make him not take that job. But you know this stuff inside and out. You think there was something there? I, don't, I think they didn't want him to take it. I think that it, I think the same idea that Nick Saban doesn't want an assistant to coach in his division. Mm-hmm. And he wanted Kirby Smart to go to the other division, but um, I don't. It would, it would, I don't think they put him up, but I think they definitely want to keep him. And I don't, they weren't. Cons- They're probably happy that the Colts suffered a, uh, some embarrassment from this. But I, people are saying he'll never get another job. And in two thousand, I'm giving this uh, two thousand seven. Billy Donovan accepted the Orlando Magic job. He had a press conference. <laughs> saw everybody, family up there, signed the contract, and then like a week later backed out of the job and he still got the Oklahoma City job. He's the Oklahoma City coach, so he did mm-hmm. get an NBA job. Yeah. So I do, I think that if he's coaching and he's doing well and Tom Brady's the quarterback and he's up with the Patriots and somebody wants him and they win, you know, they're 16-0 and 0 next year and they win the Super Bowl, someone's going to offer him a contract. That's the thing in sports. Winning cures everything. Success cures everything. We don't care what you've done off the field. As long as you produce, they're going to find a job for you. Um, Sean, what do you think? Anything backhanded going on here? We're, we have an interesting situation, too, where I think a lot of people think that McDaniels is guaranteed the, the succession uh, for Belichick. That violates the Rooney rule. So there's just so much, it, to me, the intrigue beyond what's going on behind closed doors in New England. Sean, what's your take on this? I can't. I can't sit here and possibly actually think that Robert Kraft sat down and said, hey, I want you to take the Colts job, hire three guys, and then I'm going to give you more money and we're going to screw the Colts. If now, anybody would, though, it's the Patriots. But, but I will say, though, the fact that Robert Kraft to come back after the fact and offer him more money to stay and violate the Rooney rule behind closed doors, which we can't prove, and say, hey, this is your job when... You know, Bill leaves. I totally believe Robert Kraft did that. <laughs> After Deflategate, and we, if we remember, I mean, this this rivalry's been a long time. You know, Peyton versus Brady. But the Colts were the ones that, that brought, you know, Deflategate to, to light. They were the ones mm-hmm. that complained. Um, and even that was, I mean, what are we really talking you about? Grasping straws. Exactly. But the fact that the Colts have done that, they complained after one playoff series that, you know, uh, the Patriots were pressing them too hard. And, and then next year, you know, the entire Colts uh, organization goes and is on the rules committee and c- creates a rule that the Patriots were abusing. <laughs> I mean, Robert Kraft stuck it to the Colts on this one. And I mean, that's, and that's totally what happened. I don't think he had a problem with it, but he was like, you know what? I don't want to lose this guy. I, you know, Bill's telling me, hey, I only got two, three years left to me. Well, guess what? I'm going to make this guy the highest paid offensive coordinator and I'm going to stick it to the Colts and Jim Irsay, you know, see you later, buddy. I, when I was researching McDaniels, I found something very interesting. So in 2009, he was 8-7, and seven, and they were playing, I think, the Chiefs, and they were, had a chance to make the playoffs if they won mm. the game. And he benched Brandon Marshall. And that's what, and I remember that Brandon Marshall stood on the sideline and was pouting, yeah. and he was all mad, and it just reminded me of Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. is that he bent, and that was like one of the reasons why they're saying if he would have played Brandon Marshall, and Brandon Marshall made comments about that, that Josh McDaniels would still be the coach if he would have played me in that game. So I just mm. thought that the, the symmetry between Malcolm Butler and Brandon Marshall. That's they coach so well together. <laughs> They've got the same uh, aspirations. 718 Iron Sports 95.9, the True Oldies Channel, 877-960-9960. I'd like to hear from a Philadelphia Eagles fan just on what they're going to do now without their offensive coordinator. So that brings us to our next question. Frank Reich is the official Colts coach. I don't, know, I don't know if you saw this, but they tweeted a picture of him holding a newspaper 
with Jim Irsay. Like, we actually did get this guy. This is today. We promised. Yeah. <laughs> we really do have a coach. Frank Reich, Ira, I won't lie. I do not know much about this gentleman. You think this is a good hire? It's a risky hire because you're taking a coordinator from the Eagles when he wasn't really the coordinator. Peterson called the plays. Mm. And you could see that in the Super Bowl when they were showing all the highlights that even on that the, the pass to Foles, Foles called it and Peterson said yes yeah. and, and Reich was not even involved in the decision. So I think it's a risky move. It's really hard to understand. I mean, he was, he coached, I think the Colts picked him because they were familiar with him. He was there for four years from 2008 to 2012. Yeah. They knew him. He's been a coordinator for the Chargers and then he goes, so I think that's his more familiarity. That's why they went with him. Sean, like I said, I don't know much about this guy. He has done good work up until the, you said, the, I already brought up a Chargers stat that wasn't so convincing. But his other three stops, he's done pretty well. Uh, Sean, what's your take here uh, on Frank Reich? Yeah, no, I think a lot of familiarity with him. You know, he's there with under, uh, under Dungey as an offensive assistant. Um, when Caldwell got hired, uh, who was the quarterback coach at that point, that's when um, Wright got promoted to quarterback coach. But, you know, what you look at, right? So even though if, if, if Doug Peterson's calling the place, all right, he was the quarterback's coach. He wasn't the offensive coordinator. He's the quarterback's coach. What he did for Carson Wentz in one year from year one, he wasn't there when Wentz was a rookie, okay? And, and I know it comes down to plays and bringing in Alshon and all that stuff, but the biggest knock on Wentz, because he was another one. Oh, he's a bust. He's a bust. You, we, you know, where you had Dak having a great rookie year. Jared Goff was a bust at, you know, the number one pick. Um, Wentz's mechanics were very long, uh, elongated, slow, didn't get the ball out of his hand so fast, started out hot, finished the year, I believe, 7-9 and nine, um, in his rookie year. But then he takes a kid that literally they kept talking about his mechanics and in one year turns this guy into, into the an MVP. MVP yeah. An MVP candidate. So, so if he could do that for Carson Wentz, you know, who was, okay, you know, an uber stud coming out of college. But Andrew Luck, if the guy can get back on the field, what can he do for Andrew Luck? What can he do for that organization to bring them back? So w- only time will tell, but we've seen stranger things. We've seen a high school coach just win the Super Bowl, uh, you know, in Doug Peterson for the Philadelphia Eagles. So It's one of those weird things where, like, I don't know <sighs> – does Andrew Luck need to be developed or does he just need to be healthy? Like the Giants hiring Pat Shermer. I love that. This guy turns Case Keenum into a career backup into a guy who won a a game in the playoffs. That's great because we're going to draft a rookie quarterback. Probably we'll talk about that later. So I want that. I don't think Andrew Luck needs development. I think he needs to stay on the field. I'm not sure that, you know, a new head coach can really uh, affect but he does, his shoulder. But he, but he does turn the ball over a lot, and that's his biggest knock. It's like, okay, the guy's great. He can make every throw, but he makes the risky throws. And that's something that we saw from Wentz last year. If you look at what Wentz did last year to this year, you know, the quarterback coach, the guy that's in that room every single meeting, Doug Peterson's not in that room, you know. But it, I'm not saying that he's not, but he's not in there every single day where Frank Reich was. It's, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm very conflicted on things like this. I don't know if Andrew Luck's ever going to throw again. I, I'm really just well, da- I down so. on him in general. I like Andrew Luck, um, but I just uh, I don't know. Like I said, even going back to the uh, that just the hire in general, I just really wouldn't want that job. Seven twenty one. This is Iron Sports. Mike and Sean. You know where to find us. Ninety five nine. The True Oldies Channel. Ira, you know who my biggest man crush on the planet is. <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo. I love this guy. Don't know why I love him so much. I mean, he's adorable. But <laughs> I, I love guys like that that came in like an Aaron Rodgers. Sat behind a grate for a long time. And what do you know? This guy might actually have something. He's now the highest played player in the league, so he better have something. Ira, do you think he's deserving of this? 
I, deserving. No one deserves because he's only played five games for the uh, 49ers. But I think what it is, is that's the market and that's what they need to pay him. Yeah. And their cap space, what they brought somebody, if they were going to bring a free agent in, would have to be that much. Mm. They're comfortable with him. They like working with him. They they traded for him. It just per- makes perfect sense. You're going to pay your quarterback $30 million. You might as well pay it to him. And and, and it's if it's three years, 90, so it, they yeah. could maybe wet. Uh, it's probably... It, for three years that they're stuck with him. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, it's five years, but what do you mean stuck with him? Like, um, well, at some point it becomes, you know, where, where salary caps work. It's everybody looked at Michael Vick. We, oh, the Eagles gave him a hundred million. It's like, he would never see the end of that contract. Yeah. Now we hope that for Garoppolo. Garoppolo is 25 years old, right? Okay. So where we talk about this, is he worth the money? You don't get paid in this league for what you've done you get paid for what you're about to do and if we look at a guy who's 25 years old who's pretty much won every start that he's been in um, what I think he's like 5-1 and one or 6-1 and one, and he's played phenomenal he took that 49ers team and won some games where it was like they were hopeless the, and they, they get were a 2-win team before now you have, uh, you have Shanahan as a coach he made Matt Ryan who everybody was down on for a few years oh it's time for Atlanta the best season of his career made him an MVP yeah, by the way best season of his career um, made RG3 offensive player offensive rookie rookie of the year um, turned Kirk Cousins and what to into what he was, and and I'll say this, okay, the guy's young enough. If we look at the future landscape of the NFL, who are we looking at retiring? Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, Brees um, Eli, Eli Manning. In three years, is it really that far? It, Aaron Rodgers, two years away, you know, two years from now, is Jimmy Garoppolo? Could he be the best quarterback in the league? I'm not saying he will be, but he's going to be in the top five. I mean, he is that good. When you watch him play, he makes plays that you're like, wow, this guy is worth this. He's one of those guys, and I'll play devil's advocate here. It scares me a little. Five games, not that many. We've seen this before, and from the Patriots, Matt Castle went 11-5 and five with the Patriots, got a deal with the Chiefs, went there, did nothing. Matt Flynn on the Packers, what do you have, four games? Threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns one game with the Packers? Give this guy a deal. <laughs> you know? Not Listen, I, I, Jim Grappolo's my man crush, so I don't think that's going to happen. But there is precedent for this happening, Ira. Well, I went to the FC Championship game last year in New England, and I was there an hour and a half before the game started. And Jimmy G and Tom Brady would throw, they threw the exact same passes, and they were twins. I mean, their arm strength and their the accuracy mechanics, you mean, and the mechanics and everything. Like, the, the idea is that we are not, this is, like I told I said this story before, Ben was throwing around, wearing nothing, wearing just sweatpants and didn't yeah. really care where the ball went and couldn't complete a pass. They did not have one <laughs> drop pass for like a half an hour of throwing the ball around. That's how precise they are. And I think learning that system growing up, and you see how Belichick did not want to leave him, and they, no. and, and they they loved him there. I think that he's going to be great. I think it was a great move for them. I think it's great for San Francisco. It's a smart move. And Shanahan's already come out and said, hey, we tried to get him earlier in the season and Belichick <laughs> wouldn't do it. I mean, you know, Belichick didn't want to lose this guy, but he knew that was right because Tom came out again, played at an MVP level, obviously won the MVP, and he's going to be there for another t- two years. You couldn't keep Garoppolo on the bench anymore. You couldn't keep him on the bench anymore. I would have tried to get a little more. I mean, listen, a second-round pick's great, but they probably could have really taken someone to the cleaners had they tried, or like the Browns. But I don't think, I don't think, and that goes back to who the Patriots are. I don't think Belichick would have done that to him. He would have, during draft, the rumors came out, they offered offered a first-round pick and a second-round pick, and he didn't want to trade him to the Browns. Interesting take on this. 726, this is Iron Sports, Mike and Sean, 95.9, the True Oldies channel. Got a very special guest with us right now. It's Mike Isolino. You may know Mike. He was a St. Francis point guard. He got drafted 35th overall by the Dallas Mavericks. Mike, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your uh, evening and joining us. 
Ah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really enjoy enjoyment for me. You know, you were a superstar in college, and and so I want to talk a little bit about NCAA. The difference between tournament play and regular season play, can you put that into context for a layperson like me? Well, I, I think, you know, with the, the differences, a lot of it depends on the conference you're in. Um, you know, the difference between it is, uh, you know, one big league, like our league here in the Northeast Conference, or a league like the ACC or the Big 12, that's getting eight, nine, ten teams in. Uh, you know, they have a lot more to play for uh, in a regular season uh, than than us. For us, it comes down to, you know, the three days in March. But there's still a lot to prepare for during the season because, you know, number one, if you win your league, you obviously get an automatic NIT bid, uh, which is, you know, a great incentive for a smaller conference like ours. But also I think, you know, uh, it usually in conference play when you get to the tournament, uh, your, your conference tournament, Usually one of your top four teams win it every year uh, in the league. Every now and then there's an aberration where a team's a seventh or eighth seed or you know doesn't have a good year and they win it. But normally one of your top four seeds win. So, um, you know, especially in our conference, there's a great advantage of winning the conference because you get all the home games throughout the tournament because we don't go to one site. So there is that advantage, and, and there's a lot to play for in the Northeast Conference each and every game. So, Mike, you're the associate coach at Robert Morris in Pittsburgh. Um, pretty famous place because that's where the five-star basketball camp was uh, based in. Um, what would you say, from watching a lot of basketball this year, who do you think, uh, there? it seems the parity, everyone thought Duke was going to be the top team, um, but it seems like now there's been so many number ones. Who do you think is the favorite, right? If you had to start a tournament start today, who would win the tournament? Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I, you know, obviously I think there's probably, uh, you know, eight to ten teams that could, could win the tournament this year, uh, maybe more. Uh, you know, you have teams ranked in the top 20 and not even in the top 20, like Kentucky, you know, top 20, uh, North Carolina. Those teams are down a lot lower than they've been in the past, but they're obviously teams that can still win the tournament, you know. Um, you know, obviously, Villanova and Xavier are really, really strong teams. Uh, that conference is, is, is really tough, and uh, they play a good against a good-level competition all year. So I think there's a lot of teams. I don't think there's one favorite this year. And I think that's what makes the NCAA tournament really great is the fact that every year when you come out, sure, you can always pick a couple of them. But uh, I think that this year is really difficult because there's a bunch of teams that can win it. Ira, who do you think is the team? I mean, listen, Virginia, you got to love the story. Do you think Virginia's going to win it all? I mean, what's your take on this? I think Duke. I, I, I still think Duke. Of course think you Duke. think Duke. Oh, man. <laughs> but I guess the other question for Mike would be. Because um, well, he graduated Mike, from Duke. Obviously, he's going to get Duke. He, grad, you know, he graduated from law school from Duke, so he's going to you know, have some favorites. He's the biggest homer in the biz. You can't blame him, though. It's a good program. But anyway, so, Mike, you coach at Robert Morris. Of course, you want your school to, um, to win the Northeast Conference and upset Duke in the first round, and, and that'll be amazing. But if, if, taking Robert Morris out of the equation, if, if we if come Thursday and Friday of tournament time, we're all doing our brackets, we're all looking at the scores, we're all following it. What team that's going to be like a 14, 15, 16 seed is just going to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe they just beat so-and-so, the biggest upset of the day. What team do you see from those smaller conferences that might just come out and, and be the, the, the Cinderella of the first two days? Um, you know, if I'm looking at it from that perspective, I think a team like uh, Bucknell, who has uh, a lot of seniors and they got a great inside game with uh, Nano Fuland and uh, Zach Thomas, I think those guys are, are 
you know, really good players. And I think they have something like nine guys back. I know we played them last year down there. They were really good, and I think they got nine guys back from last year's team. And, uh, you know, I think that's a team that you don't really want to face because they got experience. Uh, they're a tough team, and they know how to play. We're speaking with Mike Isolino, former uh, point guard for the Dallas Mavericks, played uh, played basketball at St. Francis in college, discussing some NCAA. What's your take, Mike, on Duke? And don't, you know, you can throw Ira under the bus here. I know he's, he might not be happy with your answers, but this is a team that we, you know, consistently see at the top of, of everything, and they just don't seem to be clicking on all cylinders like they usually are. You know, I think it's, I think it's one of the issues with, with a lot of teams, not just Duke, where you have a certain talent level uh, that's amazing. You know, they're, they're, they have unbelievable talent in terms of Bagley and uh, Carter and, uh, you know, Grace now, and they got a ton of talent and develop the point. The problem is, is can you bring all the guys together and playing on the same page? And I think, you know, a lot of teams face that issue of uh, bringing everybody together. Obviously, Coach K and Coach Calipari, they've obviously been able to do that uh, year in and year out. Um, this year it seems like uh, they're having a little bit of issue of, of getting them to play how they want them to play each and every night. Yeah. I think some of that individualism shows. And when that happens, you know, you have teams like Villanova and, and Xavier and Virginia um, who are able to put that chemistry together. And, and you know, it's different, so different from the NBA because, you know, in the seven-game series, usually the best team wins. Yeah. Um, where in the NCAA tournament, it's one game and it's one night, and it's not always the best team wins. It's it's, it's the best team that night. Yep. Um, so it's a big difference, and you know, obviously Duke can win six games and win the NCAA tournament, no problem, talent wise. Yeah. But can they do it uh, as a team? Because that's that's really what it comes down to that time of the year of, of uh, you know guys putting putting aside their individual agendas and having the team agenda at the forefront. Mike, I one last question. I mean, being at Robert Morris, you're a, the small conference, they call small conference, still Division One. You have teams that uh, you know, certainly can make, can, you know, we see them play all the time. But there's an issue about the transfer. I think we were talking off the air about the tr- potential transfer rules that might change in terms of seeing even more transfers. That t- and if you could explain, because I think you're on the forefront of that and knowing what's going on in schools with c- both college basketball and college football, what do you see in terms of what the NCAA is proposing, I think even for next year, changing the transfer rules? Well, I'd say this first. Number one, if you're trying to figure out you know, what the NCAA is going to do, <laughs> you drive yourself crazy. Nobody thinks about uh, how they do things. Um, you know, but you, you know, the, there's been, been a, you know, it's been a flux every year of the, of the roles, you know, a couple of years ago, they instituted the graduate transfer role. Um, you know, now they're trying to propose that if a coach leaves, um, you know, a student athlete can leave and not have to sit out. I know another proposal was it can be like the wild, wild west and you can transfer as long as you have above a two, six, you can transfer everywhere, anywhere you want and not have to sit out. Um, so there's a lot of different, I think, um, issues on the table. Uh, how they'll vote on that, I don't know. Um, you know, but the thing is this, that, you know, whatever they decide, you have to try to, you know, work within that framework to your advantage. You know, we've obviously, uh, you know, had a lot of our top scores each year transfer from Robert Morris. Uh, you know, three of the last four years we've had, those guys transfer up to higher levels. Um, 
you know, if they open this transfer up, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be crazy. But, you know, maybe it'll open up some opportunities for us to get some guys who aren't playing at a higher level yeah. uh, to come back down. So, you know, no matter what happens with the transfer rules, I mean, you, you just got to play with the framework of what the NCAA is going to decide and try to use it to your advantage the best you can. 734, this is Ira on Sports. We're speaking with Mike Isolino. This is the True Oldies channel. Mike and Sean kicking it with you as well. Mike, you know, hearing you talk is very fascinating. But you brought me to a question. You're a coach in the NCAA. Do you, it, like, when you have a team like Duke with so much talent, you know a lot of them are going to be one and dones. You think it's harder to manage those people than, say, the Davidsons with Steph Curry, where there's one kind of superstar and a bunch of role players, or the Virginias, or the Villanovas. What would you prefer? Uh, you know what? I, I, I would say this. I, I would say that any time, obviously, there's a lot of pressure in college athletics to win now. Uh, a lot of that's been on there. And I think it's difficult um, when you're dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-old kids and trying to get them to do the things that you need to do and understand that, you know, what it takes to win. I think it's difficult in any situation that you're in, whether it's a one-and-done situation or whether it's a, where you get guys for four years. I think it's always a difficult situation because, you know, you're trying to help develop young people into men. Um, and, again, it goes back to what I said earlier about you got to get them away from their individual agendas and onto the team agenda. And just because the kid's one and done doesn't mean that he only has an individual agenda. Um, you know, you can obviously championships with one and done guys. As long as you're promoting the right things and, and getting it through to them, I think both systems can work. And I don't think one is different than the other. Mike, before I let you go, you were an icon in my childhood. Um, (laughs) Maybe the most iconic sports video game of all time, NBA Jam. You starred in it. Uh, Do people talk to you about this now? I mean, has this become something in your life? Like, I remember you from NBA Jam. Oh, my goodness. Everywhere, you know, that's that's still my claim to fame. And my (laughs) one your claim to fame because nobody really knows me. You know, the great story. Uh, about three years ago, I was in, in the airport when I was working out in New Mexico in Albuquerque, and this guy comes up to me out of the blue, and he's like, I have to have a picture with you. He's like, you were my favorite player at NBA Jam. <laughs> and it turned out, it took the picture, and it turns out it was a guy who wrote for the, the Denver Post, and he goes and he writes a big story about it. How he met the obscure Mike Isolino from NBA Jam. <laughs> and it, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, you know, it's quite an honor, and, and they just did, uh, I know, I think it was the 25th, it was a big article in Sports Illustrated. The guy calls me up about it and wants to know about, you know, I'm, I'm almost like, what do they call the last draft pick in football? Oh, uh, Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's kind of me in the game. Mr. Irrelevant, but they can't ever take the fact that I was in the game. That's, that's the awesome. Mike Isolino, thank you so much for joining us. Current coach at Robert Morris. Went to St. Francis, excellent college player, drafted 35th by the Mavericks, known for NBA Jam. Mike, thank you so much for popping in. You're always welcome here on Iron Sports. Uh, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. 737, this is the True Oldies Channel, 95.9. Mike and Sean here with Ira. And I think we have a call on the line. It's m- No, we don't, we don't have a call on the line anymore. All right, let's move on, guys. <laughs> Ira, you came decked out in your NBA gear. This is an exciting week for you, wasn't it? I haven't seen a trade deadline like this in the NBA in a long time. Lots of shakeups. There's people moving. We're here, you know, at the station. Me, Errol Egan, our chief of master controls. We're going back and forth. 
every three minutes, oh my God, look what just happened. Holy crap, D-Wade's coming back to Miami. So there's a lot to talk about as far as NBA goes. Ira, what do you think was the most important move here at the deadline? This is tough to pick. Uh, well, the Cavaliers. I mean, what the Cleveland did was absolutely amazing. They mm-hmm. positioned themselves for next year if LeBron leaves, and they gave LeBron really? enthusiasm. I think... I love, I follow the NBA. I'm very close. I love Larry Nance Jr. He is so athletic. He averages a one and a half blocks a game and he plays very few minutes in the games for the Lakers. He's athletic. He gets up and down the court. Also, his father, is, is a, his number's in the rafters in Cleveland. So he's a famous person. But he's is 25 years old, athletic, under a contract that's excellent. Jordan Clarkston came off the bench for the Lakers. He shoots threes. He's energetic. He, he had like three 30-point games in the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. So he's hot. He's on fire. And Rod <coughs> Rodney Hood. I love Rodney Hood. He's 25 years old also. Mm-hmm. If you remember in the playoffs last year against the Clippers, how well he played. And he's tremendous. Great three-point shooter. I think he's last year, two years, he averaged 2.6 threes a game. He is phenomenal. So you have three 25-year-old players and a guy like George Hill, who his claim to fame was traded for Quali Leonard when the <laughs> San Antonio <laughs> traded him to Indiana, but who played great for the Pacers. Yeah. And when the Pacers were challenging the Cavs and the Heat all those yeah. years, those great rivalries, he's been in so many he big games. He was driver's seat. Right, and so now he's, he came back. He signed with Sacramento for half a season. Now he's back and now playing. And I think he hasn't played well this year, but I think he's going to to play along in that in that point guard role that they need there. Ira, go ahead, Sean. Well, no, before I, before I start and, and, and talk about this, Joe, I just want to point out that his love for Rodney Hood goes back to Rodney Hood being a shooting guard for the Duke Blue Devils. Oh, well, that might have a little <laughs> bit to do with it. Ira, you brought up a great point, though, something I didn't think about. This was excellent work on their part to set themselves up for a post-LeBron yes. if he does leave. Yes. You want to explain that a little bit for people that maybe don't know some of these players as well? Well, I'm just sort of... Their problem, the Cavs' major problem has been the J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson contracts are disastrous. They play <laughs> Tristan Thompson this year, 16 million, then 17 million, then 18 million. J.R. is 13 million, 14 million, 50 million. So they're, they're tying so much money up yeah. on players that really should be like two and three million dollar players, what they play. So that limits their flexibility at all to do anything. And I think it's amazing. They just got re- Isaiah and Crowder. I thought Crowder was going to be a great player on that so team. But you saw when he wouldn't pick, wouldn't lift, uh, give the hand, walked right <laughs> over Kevin Love when he was on the floor. Isaiah completely about everything. Yeah. They were just problem people. And it's almost the Brad Stevens effect. It's like if you play for Boston yeah. and you play for Brad, they make you look great. But once yeah. you leave, just beware. Buyer yeah. beware on them. <laughs> and they got Crowder and then they got Jair, and they got Crowder and Isaiah out. And I think the players also, I like these players for another reason. Clarkston, um, Nance, and Hood all came off the bench. Yeah. They're, they're, they're guys that are they're okay with their roles. You want to yeah. start me? You want me to come off the bench? I don't have a problem. J.R. Smith point. early in the year was complaining, oh, I can't go yeah. on the bench. I can't do this. These guys come off the bench, but they play significant times. Mm. They're young. They'll defer to a LeBron. You can see how LeBron is energized. He has players that will defer to him, that will look at him, that will listen to him. They're going to follow him, and I think that's what's, that's what's made this team so good. 741, it's Ira on Sports. Mike and Sean here as well. We want to hear from you. We're going to talk about the mind Miami Heat in just a moment. Your boy's back. Wade County is back in effect. 877-960-9960. 877-960-9960. Sean, I know that you know we talked before the show, and you love a lot of the moves that the Cavs did, but what do you think was the most important move? Well, no, no I, I definitely think the Cavs were... Put it this way. They put themselves back in position to contend with the Celtics, and we saw that after game one uh, of having these guys on the floor. 
Um, and, and I report up a good point where you're talking about guys that come off the bench. I think the only new acquisition that didn't play more than 20 minutes was Rodney Hood, and he played for like 18 minutes and still gave him, I, I think, 13 points. Uh, the biggest difference that we saw from an old, slow Cavs team was youth energy. Um, I understand it's the first game, so these guys are coming out of, you know, they're coming out of the gates on fire. Exactly, you know. But Jordan Clarkson, I mean, he was a starter for two years until Lonzo Ball showed up, and then they moved him to the bench. This guy could fill it up. George Hill, first time LeBron's played with a point guard in recent memory that wasn't a a shoot-first point guard. Kyrie Irving, Mo Williams, Mario Chalmers when he was with uh, uh, Miami. It might be the first time since, I mean, he was really young and played with Eric Snow back in the (laughs) early Cavs days where he doesn't have to bring the ball up. Uh, Larry Nance, I mean, when you watch this guy, he's just the shock and awe type of, you know, small forward slash power forward, athletic wing and it's like Lob City. I can only imagine what LeBron could bring to Larry Nance's game. Um, but another guy that can defend that athletic wing that LeBron doesn't so have to do yeah. where he can focus more on offense. Um, so we saw that it paid dividends right away. Uh, but for Devil's Advocate, I will even say, and we, and we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago when, when the trade happened, but how good has Blake Griffin looked in the East? I mean, the West is so stacked with talent. Yeah, no, everyone forgot that Blake about that Griffin <laughs> is like he's like the best player in the East right now. I mean, he's literally bawling out of his mind um, because the competition just isn't there against him. So that immediately puts Detroit for the next few years at least being a top five team in the East. I I didn't even think about that. And you were down on Blake Griffin, you know, after seeing him be kind of um, lackadaisical, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, or being a jerk to Blake Griffin. That's a pretty big move. How do you think it's working out with Detroit? It's all because of Andre Drummond. Um, yes. He played. He's a beast. Everybody looked at this trade and they said, "Well, he plays with DeAndre Jordan. They don't really mesh. They're two big guys. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't space the floor right. It doesn't work out. It hasn't worked out. And they'll go to, to the Pistons and run into the same problem. But he's had a relationship with Drummond. They're actually friends. And Drummond is having an amazing, underrated year. No one's yes. talking about him at all. He's averaging 15 rebounds a game. Double double machine. And he's a and I think that Blake and him are getting this chemistry. And you watch the game; they are dominating. What what this what this move has done too is shown people how good of a passer Blake Griffin actually is. I mean, you watch some of the highlights; it's good like point. Blake Griffin making great passes where he didn't have that role. I don't in, think I've in, ever seen him make a pass. No, he he didn't have that role <laughs> in, in LA because Chris Paul's there because they had a lot of guys around him where it was like, oh, okay, we're gonna take your skills and we're gonna marginalize them to just be the alley-oop guy. You know, banging the paint and and make a nice dunk. Where now he's more of a focal point in the offense, where they can actually run the offense through Blake Griffin, where they never did that in LA because they had Chris Paul. Ira, let's you know, I, you brought up some interesting points, and I didn't know I didn't think you were going to love this Cavs um, scenario so much. So, Boston. You think they're going to knock them off? I mean, who do you see? I think two weeks ago, anyone in this room would have probably thought that Boston was a serious, serious contender to go to the finals. What do you think now? I'm going to take everybody back to Wednesday, January 31st. I love that day. That was only two weeks ago, but it seems like (laughs) 20 years. At that date, the Miami Heat were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm -hmm. If Miami would have won that game, they would have been 29 and 20, or 30 and 20, and the Cavaliers would have been 29 and 22 or whatever. They would have been virtually tied. Yeah, they were like half a game behind when they played. And, And it was a great game up and down. And James Johnson had a layup at the end of the game 
to to tie to take it overtime and they didn't they didn't win. But since then, the Heat have they lost four or five straight games. The Cavs then went and lost the Houston game and then Orlando. Then they made this trade and suddenly you're looking at the standings right now and the Cavaliers are six back and the Heat are nine and a half. And as Sean says, the Detroit, which is sitting at the ninth position, is positioned to you know jump right up there. Heat might be out of the playoffs, it's so that that's what makes it so. But I, the game yesterday, I love watching because can you imagine this? These they have not played. No, this shows what training camp. The, the, everyone says we need training camp. We need to get players working together. They hadn't had a practice together. It's crazy. They had a walkthrough. LeBron gets all these people, all four new players in, and they blow out the number one seed. Now Toronto's number one seed. The number one seed in the East. They, well, they were up by twenty five points. So I think cle- clearly Cleveland, with a motivated LeBron, is much better than Boston. Isn't LeBron Joe, just the? It, it, this maybe only one person in sports who I would give like that to. Like, never played with these guys before. He's going to walk out on the court and dominate. Yeah. You know that he's that guy, and it is amazing. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I also want Miami to win. We'll talk um, more about that soon. Sean, what do you think? Golden State, can they beat these guys? Uh, well, yes, obviously Golden State can. I think Houston can. No, can, but go, I, can they beat Golden State, I should say. Oh, can can the Cavs beat yeah. them? I think they're better positioned you know, today than they were a week ago. Um, because when we look at those teams, even let's even let's go to the, the, the Rockets, because there's a lot of teams in the West that are, you know, like powers. I, I like the Rockets a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I like them a lot, you know, especially when you watch them play. But, but what is so fascinating about the Warriors, right? They're deep. They're their bench is deep and they're young and they're athletic. When you watch the finals games, they're running they're running uh, um, uh, green as their center for you know nearly seventy five percent of the game. They go with the small lineup. They go with quick, fast, athletic players. That's what the Cavs did. That's what the Cavs didn't have last year. When you Good watch point. the finals and you go two years ago, they matched up well. They had a lot of energy. They won. They beat the Warriors last year. I mean, they looked old. They just really did. And then this year, they it's like old. their big move is like. <laughs> We're gonna go get Dwayne Wade. Wow, really? That's what we're gonna add to this team to 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 take them over um, the Warriors. So yes, I think they're in really really great position. And I think I don't know if they'll pass the Celtics to get the number one seed in the East. But without a doubt, today right now, I think the Cavs will be the team that comes out of the East. Ira, you like this team now? Golden State is the creme de la creme. Cream of the creme. Houston's pretty darn good too. Are these moves enough for the Cavs? I, I it's like not the an move. easy question. I, 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 like, <laughs> I like the move so much that, and I don't like how Golden State's been playing. But you, the Golden State has a level. If Golden State is playing their A game, they will not be beat. But if Can't Golden be. State Can't plays be. a B game, this now positions the Cavs to play an A game and beat the the Golden State. If Golden State Golden State is now forced, or Houston would have to both. They well, Houston just shoots threes. If they just miss their threes, they can beat by anybody. Mm-hmm. But Golden State is now going to have to play now their A game to beat the Cavs. Seven forty nine. Ira on Sports ninety five nine True Oldies Channel. We want to hear from you. Eight seven seven nine six zero ninety nine sixty. Eight seven seven nine six zero ninety nine sixty. Time to talk a little bit of heat. And I'm going to bring in our chief of master controls, Errol, for a moment. Errol. You're the second biggest Heat fan on the planet next to Ira. What's your take on Wade County being reinstated? I love Wade County coming back. You know, <laughs> welcome him and Wade back. It was like everything was right in the universe again, and I thought that the planets had all come into alignment. <laughs> now, and I also think that this sets up for the Banana Boat Boys Aww. all having a meeting in Miami, because what better way to enter a game 
than off of Biscayne Bay on one of those banana boats. Uh, Ira, what's your take on this? Dwayne Wade's back in Miami. You've been a Dwayne Wade fan forever. You think there's anything left in the tank? And how does this help the Heat's chances going forward? I, I, I love Dwayne Wade. I know you did. I, I think he's... <laughs> I don't think they beat Oklahoma City without him. I think LeBron, if people remember the game, LeBron had cramps that entire series, would sit out, would be in the mm. locker room. Wade carried him to that first title. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think Dwayne Wade is amazing. I mean, people forget how good he was. He was amazing. I mean, I, I'm just going to give you a stat. One year, he averaged his blocks. He's a two guard. He's averaging <laughs> 1. 1.3, 1.1, 1. 1.3. 1. There's centers that don't have that, yeah. <laughs> He's averaging two steals and 1.3 blocks and scoring 30 points and getting seven and a half assists and getting seven rebounds a game. It's His stats were amazing, but I saw him this year for the Cavs, and I think by Cavs limiting his minutes to 20, 25 minutes, this is the healthiest. He's played almost every game. I think he's missed two games this year, but just for rest, not for injury. So I think he definitely can add a lot to the Heat, and 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 but it's going to be very. I I have much more faith in Spolstra integrating very Wade good in the lineup oh, than yeah. I do actually Tyrone Lue figuring out what to do in Cleveland because yeah. I know Spolstra and they, Spolstra wanted him back. They wanted him to come back. I mean, if Spolstra said, "I don't I don't think he would fit with this young group," I think they wanted him back, and he seems energized to come back. Dwayne Wade is one of those players that you can't say a bad thing about. The guy's just a, a stand-up person on and off the court. He's an amazing player. Got a couple of finals MVPs to his credit. The guy's really good. He's getting a little old. Sean, what's your take on how... I mean, Miami did need a shakeup. Uh, not that they weren't a good team or not a great team. They were an okay team. I think they needed a shakeup. So what's your take on the Dwayne What they Wade? needed was is, is a veteran presence. I mean, and that's what Dwayne Wade brings. He brings championship caliber knowledge. Right? When your leading scorer is your point guard and he's averaging 17 points a game, playing 31 minutes a game, if you're telling me Dwayne Wade plays 31 minutes and can't drop 17, you know, 17 points. I mean, that that's what he's going to bring. He's he's immediately in my opinion going to be their number one scorer. I mean, you got to you got to start him at some there's point. There's nobody it's, else. And, and, and that's the point. Yeah, well you have and you have Deion Waiters who's playing 30 minutes a game, only averaging 14, and he was like he was supposed to be your number one guy all year and he just proven he's not that guy. Um do I think he helps well, Deion Waiters? Do I think he helps Deion Waiters 100%? I think he plays very well with uh, uh with Dragic. Um but but that's what Wade brings a young team that needs that veteran presence to bring them down the stretch. Are they going to contend with the Celtics? No. Are they going to contend with the Cavs? No. Can they play with the Raptors? No. But can I think they, they get... can hang with the Raptors? Maybe uh, if this comes together. I'm, yeah, I'm just a little bit of a well, heat homer well, too. Well, but well, yes and no. You know, but <laughs> but do I think they have the talent? You know, with Lowry, Rosen, um, absolutely not. I just don't think they stack up on paper as well as the Raptors. Put it this: way. I mean, the Raptors have a better record than the Cavs right now, mm-hmm. and, and and Miami's still just barely holding on. They need to make a move. They do need to shake some up. They bring this guy back. What does that do? Doesn't just help the team in the locker room. It also brings more fans back. They get to put their Wade jerseys back on. They're going to show up to more games. They're going to be more electric every time he steps on the court. So I think it was a great move for the organization and a great move for the young players. Everybody's going out to buy one of those neon Wade jerseys. Come on. It's going to look <laughs> so good. The new, the, the, the blue. The Miami Vice jerseys. I, I want one so bad. Ira, you know, Sean brought up something, and it's kind of not the way the Miami media looks at it. They think that Dwayne has a problem with Corin. Not, 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 you know, off the court, but just playing together. He doesn't think that their chemistry, or some people don't think their chemistry fits. What's your take on Goran Dragic with Dwayne Wade? They don't even play Goran that many minutes. I, I, I mean, he's 30 minutes as a starting point guard, so it's not... I think that between the two of them, how they're going to uh, average their minutes, I think it'll be fine. I think... 
their key, their problem is it almost like every night he'd have to play the perfect game. Yeah. They pass the ball, they yeah. move, they shoot. Ellington has to make his threes. Uh, they have to. James Johnson has to make the right plays every game. Like in the standings, it's it's, it's very interesting. They have a negative minus point eight difference over the years. That means yeah. they've been outscored, but they still have thirty wins. A, an example of that with the same standing is Charlotte has. Eight wins less than they do, and they have a better. They've scored more points, which mean that Crazy. the Heat, the Heat just are not. They're they're losing games. They're getting you know they're just hanging in there, winning close. close. They don't blow a heart anybody out every night. Yeah, they don't blow anybody <laughs> out. Every game is close. They're barely able to win it. They just have to play that perfect game, and it's just hard. And you could see where they might not make the play. They they're either going to be like the third seed or the or fourth out. seed or out of the playoffs. <laughs> um, you know, Ira. One of the things for me, and I'm not as big a Heat fan as, as you, but I watch them often, and I you know I follow them. They don't have anybody to take an end-of-the-game shot. And every good team needs somebody that you know where that ball's going. I think with Dwayne Wade back, that can be him now. They have just been looking for a solution in the last two minutes. Dwayne, hopefully, is that guy. Dwayne will be that guy, and the key, I think, for the Heat is Josh Richardson. I said this last week. Josh Richardson has to develop into a superstar. He has to. So I think I think he just I think that is their key because they are in salary cap they can't do anything <laughs> I, we went over the salary cap last year just to go quick next year we forget about Chris Bosh's contract which goes off but they have Whiteside at twenty four million Drogic at eighteen James Johnson at fourteen Waiters at twelve Olenek at eleven and Tyler Johnson makes nineteen million next year oh Tyler Johnson makes what nineteen million There's no room they have no room so unless the you can current, dunk what do you want They have the trade the only trade chip they have. Is Whiteside? I can't believe they kept him. How with how well Bam is playing? I I, I can't believe they didn't move Whiteside. I was really surprised. I think that. they were. You think they were trying to move Whiteside? I would have been. I hate that guy. Who I predicted that was what I predicted. Yeah, yeah, but who wants him? That's the thing. At the price that he's at, what's you know he? Twenty two, twenty three this year, twenty four in the twenty seven. Yeah. You don't think any? I mean, it's not an easy move, but it, it, there's got to be a market for this. With guy. So many teams are playing without centers now. That's the other problem he's running point. to. They yeah. want their center. If you can't shoot threes, we don't want you. Yeah. Yeah. Houston, do you think? And how they're playing and how they're running the floor. They want someone who's just going to run it up and down the floor. Very good point. Seven fifty six. Ira on Sports ninety five nine. True Oldies Channel, Mike and Sean here as well. We've got two tickets to see the amazing author John Feinstein at the FAU uh, Learning Center in Jupiter next Tuesday night, February 20th at 7 p.m. We would love for you to win these right now. The third caller gets them at 877-960-9960, 877-960-9960. Guys, uh, I don't know if I want to change gears. Now, let, let's, we got we got a few minutes. Biggest loser at the deadline. Let's try to make this a little fast. Ira, who do you think, I mean, a lot of winners. Who do you think was the biggest loser at the NBA trade deadline? I think the Celtics. I think the Celtics were a loser because I think the Cavaliers <laughs> got good. I think the I think the Celtics were positioned to say, okay, this is going to be. I think the Celtics and the Raptors too, because yeah. I think both of them were like nobody saw that. Coming. They saw the Cavaliers were a train wreck. They were falling apart. And you, if you had a Cavaliers team that they, when Tyron Tyron had to answer the question, do you think you can make the playoffs? <laughs> that was the question. <laughs> so if if you're somehow the number one competitor uh, is now they got LeBron's now motivated with a good team. I think that Toronto and Boston are the losers. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a million ways that you can, you can go on this. Sean, who's your biggest loser? Well, I, I definitely agree with Ira on the Celtics. I mean, Celtics are a team that makes moves. You, someone, I, I, you, if you were playing for the Celtics, you took a shower, came back, and the Cavs had a whole new team. Yeah, yeah. It was like, what, what just happened? And then you just got blown up by 30 from that brand new team, you know, like a few days later. On so, Paul Pierce's retirement. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Did you see the picture of him? He didn't look too happy. Um, 
I, I definitely think the Celtics for sure. I'm not surprised the Raptors didn't make a move because the Raptors never make a move. Um, but I was really surprised the Celtics didn't do anything. Um, and especially when that day was progressing and the, and the Cavs made trade after trade. Um, but for devil's advocate, I'll go with Isaiah Thomas. I mean, this guy played for the Celtics last year, was I think finished third or fourth in MVP voting, led the league in points uh, per game, gets traded to the Cavs. So he's like, all right, you know, well, I'll take the team that just beat us in the <laughs> in the playoffs, gets traded from them. It goes to the, the hopeless Lakers. And, and at the same time, it's kind of a good move for him because he wasn't going to build his free agency stock mm. with the Cavs where he could do that with the Lakers. But think about that. You go from the Celtics, who was number one again, to the to the Cavs. And, and when you come back, that's when the, the rails fall off, uh, of the, uh, uh, the wheels fall off for the Cavs. And then you go to the Lakers. So I know he dropped 22, but you got to you know feel bad for Isaiah going from the number one seed to you know the team that went to the Eastern Conference, uh, won the Eastern Conference Finals, went to the Finals, to now the Lakers. And has to deal with LeVar Ball. <laughs> that is LeVar Ball. <laughs> Just about um, two minutes left here on Ira on Sports. Ira, Olympics are in full swing. I'm not a big Olympic guy. I watch the, the, the team sports. I really, there's not a lot of the individuals that I can get into because, you know, I'm, I'm a sports guy. I like the athletes and, and I want to know the people. The NHL has decided that their players cannot play in the Olympics this year. Um, they used to do it and they've done it quite a few times where there's like a two week break in the middle of the season. All the, um, you know, the top NHL players go to play for their respective teams. That's not going to happen this year. Does it change the way you're looking at Olympic hockey? I mean, do, or do you want to see the amateurs? Uh, I'm not a huge hockey fan anyway, but I don't have any, hardly any interest now because they, they yeah. are professional players. It's not like the American amateurs versus the Russian super team. They're all playing in Europe in sec- yeah. second tier leagues. It's like a minor league baseball of like the Olympics. So it's, to me, it, it makes me no interest in, in watching Olympic hockey. There is Brian Gianta, captain of TV. <laughs> oh, he God. gets to be the captain because he plays in the KHL now. Oh no, he plays in Finland. So he's allowed to play. So we do have like some NHL players, but they're, not playing in the NHL because they're not good enough anymore. So you have Brian Gianta, Matt Gilroy, who was a Long Island phenom from Belmore, uh, played at Boston College, won the Hobie Baker. He's on the team. But yeah, I just don't get that excited when it's not the best players in the world. And I got to tell you, I'd be a little mad if I was a Russian guy. Yeah. Or a Czechoslovakian person. I want to represent my country. And now I'm in America and your league's telling me I can't do that. That's going to not bode well. Russians already are not wanting to play here anyways, and the KHL is getting better every day because of it. Sean, what's your take on, on this, you know, NHL players not being allowed to play? No, I, I totally agree. I think the league's wrong for this. Um, I thought the whole point of the Olympics is to put the best athletes in the world I see the best on the field or the ice, you know, and, and compete against each other. The best from my country against the best from your country. Um, and the fact the NHL has kind of done it, I don't think it's the NHL so much as it's the owner saying, hey, I'm paying this guy a lot of money. I don't need him getting hurt. Um, so I understand from the business side of it, but it is. It's it's when you when you think of the you know the Olympics, especially the Winter Olympics, hockey is such a big part of To me of it that. is the Winter Olympics. It, it is such <laughs> a big part of that. And to take the best players in the world, because they play in the NHL. I know the KHL is a phenomenal league. It's it's you can't say it's on par with the NHL, but it's it, it's the it's the next best. And um to, to have those players there and not have the NHL, you're doing a disservice to the fans. And I think there's going to be a lot of backlash. And I don't see it going. I don't. I don't see it going another four years. You know, to the next Olympics, there'll be enough fan backlash, and you'll see the product on the ice during the Olympics that they'll. They, they, the NHL has to make a change. The Gary Bettman, the um, you know the worst commissioner, commissioner of the, he's ever. awful. The, the worst commissioner in sports. 
I don't think he cares. He, he's just one of those guys who does not care about how his league is viewed. He does an awful job marketing it. What's going to happen now, though, is you already got Ilya Kovalchuk, who is debating on coming back to the NHL. You think he's coming back now? <coughs> no. He's going to stay in the KHL and play for Team Russia. All these other athletes, we've seen a lot of these Russian guys who are amazing go back and forth, back and forth. Now they're just going to stay. Why do I want to play in the NHL? Well, I think if the Olympics, uh, the common is if it was in the North America or Europe, they would probably play It'd NHL with team. The problem is the, the, the time zones and sw- yeah. changing players. And, but in four years, it's going to be in China. So they won't they won't play again. One of the proposals I, I'm not the big hockey fan as everyone else is, but I was thinking one of the proposals is move hockey to the Summer Olympics because if you move it to the Summer Olympics, then everybody can yeah, play. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Just because his ice <laughs> still inside. I mean, they play. When is the Stanley Cup Finals? Isn't that in June? I mean, they're playing Stanley Cup Finals in June. So no, I don't, that's a great point. It's such an easier way to get the best. People they don't play world. outside. <laughs> exactly. Well, we do once a year, New Year's Day. Yeah. <laughs> Bold predictions. You know what this is. It's something outlandish, but it could happen in the world of sports. Ira, you're up first. What's your bold prediction for the next week in sports? Tiger top five. There we go. Ooh, I knew you were. I, I had a feeling this is. What I, I think. Mean. I think this is. I think. I think that I'm going to give a plug for the Honda Classic. I think yes. Tiger goes to Genesis now at Riviera. I think Tiger is going to have a great tournament. I think he's going to play awesome. And I think it's going to get a lot of enthusiasm for everybody coming to the Honda Classic the next week. I think he's going to be healthy. I think he's going to play great. Um, and I say Tiger top five. He's what? not going to win. I'm not going to say he's going to win top five. Top five is still amazing. But third tournament back? Yeah, it, right. it would be ridiculous. Ira, what's, what do you think Tiger's best finish ever at Honda was? I can't remember him finishing top ten. And you've been, I've seen you walk rounds with him dozens of times. <laughs> <laughs> classic. Well, he hasn't played. He didn't play it as he much would, as you think. His last withdrawal was three years ago. Yeah, he hasn't right. played and since. we were there because he moved. He started playing here. He didn't play here when until he that's moved. That's right. Here. You're absolutely. And right. that's when everybody started. The Honda was not that big a tournament. It was until it. Tiger showed that, up. <laughs> until Tiger and Rory and everyone else, all the golfers moved here and moved yeah. to Jupiter. That's when it became this enormous tournament. Yeah. And then you had Doral having the World Golf Championship right afterwards, which yeah. has been changed. But that's what made the Honda a big. Uh, We have have great partners at the Honda Classic. I love them. Ira, do you like the Honda better now or before it was huge? Um, I love the I love the I want to see the golfers. I love the Honda. I tell everybody, and no one Honda's, listens to me. The Honda's they awesome. should. It's amazing. Everybody in the Northeast should come down this time because it's the same time you go to spring training, the mm-hmm. Honda Classic, catch some heat games. Yeah. It's the best place to be in South. Time to be in South Florida. So I don't know. I would, I should be like on the tourism board or something. <laughs> but I, it, it, the Honda is great because you can be in the lobby of the hotel and the golfers are walking around. And it you go to the pro am cool. on Wednesday and and just talk to the golfers. I saw. Rory McIlroy like playing with someone's dog he took him out there and he's like doing like playing with the dog you can get autographs you can take pictures it's just a tremendous tournament Ira, Sean and I have been the biggest proponents of the Pro-Am for years. Oh. It's Wednesday is my favorite day at the Honda Classic. Because no one's there. Yeah, there's nobody there. Well, my, my, one of my best experiences in sports was I saw Roger Clemens, Toby Keith, and Ben Rottenberger play awesome. with, uh, I, I forget, oh, I forget, the, the one pro golfer. And they went and they went to the uh, Bear Trap on the 16th hole. Yep. And they went and they, they, I think they played it for like an hour. They were, yeah. and they were throwing, <laughs> yeah. and they were throwing, they were all drinking. They Just were totally sloshed. There was like nothing. 10 people watching them because they had played on their interviews and then can't, I heard a rumor they're going to come back out and play it again and all they did was they kept playing it and throwing $100 bills down it was yeah. awesome to see Ben <laughs> Roger Clemens and Toby Keith they were hilarious I've had some amazing yeah. moments at the Honda Classic and anybody who hasn't been to the Honda Classic you're doing yourself a disservice you don't even need to be a golf fan yeah. it's a spectacle for everything and it's voted the number two or number one fan tournament every year sometimes the uh, 
waste management challenges, but that's a little different of a of an atmosphere. Honda Classic here at PGA National uh, kicking off next Monday is just absolutely amazing. Sean, bold prediction. I'm going to go with, uh, there's a lot of talk in terms of, you know, in the NFL with where's this quarterback going and specifically Kirk Cousins, Nick Foles, Case Keenum, Drew Brees, where are these guys going to play next year? I think the first quarterback that's going to land a starting gig is going to be A.J. McCarron, and he Ooh. will be signed by a team and will be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Which one? Next year. Yeah, you got to get a throw team out there. It's kind of tough. It's you, know, like you know it's, something. It's, well, it's so easy to say the Browns because they tried last year, but where the Browns are sitting with the one and four pick, I don't think he goes there because I think there'll be too much pressure to, to play the number one pick. Um, but I could easily see him playing for the Minnesota Vikings. What? This is a question for another day when we talk about Vikings quarterback situation, but I think that's the most bold prediction we may have ever heard. Well, I think all the quarterbacks I just named, I don't think, outside of Kirk Cousins, who I think is is going straight to Denver, I don't think Nick Falls leaves. I think Case Keenum stays, and I think Drew Brees stays with the Saints. So, you know, there's got to be a team out there where it's Miami. Um, And Case Keenum could leave as well. I I think Case Keenum doesn't stay only because I think he's going to demand too much money. But I really do think A.J. McCarron is going to be the first one to get picked up. My boy Keenum is going to follow Shermer over to the Giants. Could. He could. That's my bold prediction, I guess. Ira, Eli to the Jacks. Ira, you're checking in somewhere for some flight right now. Where are you headed this week? I'll be in Los Angeles. I'll go to Riviera, so I'll go watch Tiger and uh, some of the All-Star game. I'll be there. Uh, before we let you go, you sent Sh- uh, Sean and I a picture earlier in the week flying over the new L.A. stadium. They're really making some progress there. It's amazing. It's going to be the largest stadium ever in the world. It's going to be, I think it's like a one and a half times Dallas, the AT&T Stadium. Yeah, Jerry that. Jones has already broke ground to build his stadium <laughs> bigger, so just, let's not get excited, guys. But when you saw... He's setting when, up trailers on the... When you saw the picture, if anyone flies into Los Angeles, you should really like look over when you're landing, because it's right next to the airport, and it is amazing to see what they're doing. You can see the whole stadium being formed, and, and the footprint of the stadium is enormous. We are about out of time here on Iron sports. Thank you so much to our special guest, Mike Isolino. On behalf of Sean LaGrega, I'm Mike Balsamo. He's Ira. It's Ira on Sports. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Talk to you next Friday night.